everyone, and welcome back to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner, and this is our season two finale. And boy, do I got a fucking great one for you today. I had the opportunity to speak to one of the most interesting athletes I've ever spoken to. He is one of only three people to cross coast to coast the country of Madagascar. He's completed a Olympic distance triathlon with a 90 pound weight across his back and successfully finished what they call a strong marathon where you tow a vehicle 26 miles. Yeah, that's right. That's not even the half of what's going on with this guy. In May of 2022, he is getting ready to attempt the longest and largest triathlon in US history. And so there is a lot to unpack, a lot to get into with my next guest. So let's just get right into it. My next guest, Justin True. Well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. What's up, man? How are you doing? Good, man. Yourself? Yeah, good. I'm good seeing you, man. Are you uh, up yep. in Oregon right now training? Yeah. Yep. I'm back in Oregon right now training. Actually headed out in a couple hours to Connecticut for uh, work. And that, that's going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to be cutting it close with work. About 12-hour days uh, at the nuclear plant and then get in training somehow, you know. I got to make it work. So that, that was that was one thing that I always kind of wanted to know because you, you you were able to come out here to San Diego for a week and and I see you doing all this training hours on end and I never really knew what you did as a as a daily um, work piece. So you work at the nuclear power plant. So uh, so so it's basically seasonal. I work the spring and the fall, and I have the summer and winters off. So it's been like this perfect schedule to really like dive into my passions and my hobbies. You know, uh, the the job can really consume you if you don't take advantage of the time off. And I, man, I try to make the most of it. If I got time off, I'm, I'm getting something done. Well, I think, I don't know. I think the U S is way behind in what like the Europeans do, right? Like Europeans take a ton of time off their, their hours are shifted. Like, like they're condensed a lot. So, yeah. so yeah, I, like, they, I would, like they all have siesta. I, oh, hell yes. I would love to, I would love to break it down into that eventually for the U S too, because that would make, I think everybody a little bit happier, I think in, in States. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mentioned all these things in the opening and I, I, I totally want to get into them. And I, I definitely we're here to talk about the, the triathlon attempt and everything else. But I really want to kind of get a background of you know who you are and, and what kind of brought you into like doing a lot of these adventure um, challenges. Like you consider yourself a hybrid athlete, right? An adventure athlete. So yeah. what what kind of brought you? you know, from your upbringing, like what brought you into this mentality of, Hey, this is what, this is what I want to do. This is because you do all these uh, uh, challenges for <laughs> antics for, for a charity as well. So that's really cool. And, and again, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of that, but what was your mindset or how, how was your upbringing that got you into that motion? I think my upbringing, it's weird to like say that it was just really rough, I guess. Like now looking back on it, I never thought it was, but I've had some people be like, Hey man, like that's, pretty brutal. Like you should probably talk to somebody about this. And, you know, went and saw a therapist for a couple of years trying to like hash all this stuff out that I hid for so long. And I was like, Oh, that's just normal, man. That's just life. And, uh, I think that past really kind of like hardened me over as far as being mentally strong, being emotionally numb to everything. So when I do these kind of things, like there's a pain that, that, you know, is involved, you know, physically and mentally, emotionally, you know, you do these and you become so raw emotionally, and so I think 
I was just numb to that to where when I do these, it's just like a, it's a peaceful home to me. Like all I have to deal with is a physical pain. And yeah, I think that slowly started spiraling out of control with, I started fighting, uh, not on the streets. I've literally never been on a fight, never been in a fight <laughs> on the street ever, but I've been in about 10, 10 cage fights, uh, did pretty oh, well, uh, one, okay. two titles. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of lost the adrenaline for that. It was super fun. Loved it. And then I just wanted something else. I needed something to really push me and something that wasn't as safe as fighting. Fighting was too safe. There was a ref there. I knew I was taken care of. I wanted something that was just me and the elements. Wow. Now, were you, did you kind of grow up as that, that adventure, you know, that, that, that adventure athlete, you wanted to try and, and test out things as you were growing up as well too, or is that kind of later in life when you get to your twenties and stuff, that's when it hit. Yeah. Uh, definitely later in life. I, uh, I'd actually never traveled ever, um, growing up. I think I was on one plane when I was like 16 and that was from 15 or 16. And that was from San Francisco to Bend, Oregon. It's like an hour ride. And then my first real flight was across the world to like Indonesia when I was like 20 something. So yeah, I just, I, I don't know where the adventure side came. I just kind of had a, had a breakdown in life. I just was super depressed and wasn't really happy with everything was. And was just like, you know what? I'm getting out of here, man. I'm buying a one-way ticket and like, I need to find myself again. I need to find my love for life. So I, I did read something about how, and you go back into how you were kind of depressed and everything else. Did I read that you actually tried to commit suicide a couple of times? Yeah. Uh, twice when I was 18. Oh my God. Is that based on what you were kind of like you're growing up? That's kind of where that kind of came from, I guess. And, and the hard upbringing. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I said, I, I buried a lot of it and I've realized I need to be, I needed to be like the man of the house. Let's say like I needed to be the shoulder like the wall, the rock that everybody leaned on, I felt, because my dad wasn't really around ever then. Um, he was actually the bad guy and part of the problem. And then my brother was addicted to drugs since he was like, I don't know, four years old. I, <laughs> that's Jesus. what it feels like. Um, probably since he was like 15. And then my mom was just hurting all the time in every which way possible. And I just needed to be the shoulder, the wall for everybody to lean on. And I did. So I numbed everything. Everything that happened, I shut it out. I had no emotions. I had no feelings nothing affected me. I just had to be there for everybody else. And when I was 18, I could finally breathe again. Everybody kind of got back on their feet. I thought my brother was getting better. My mom was finally back on her feet and everything just kind of came in all at once. And, uh, it was just a whirlwind of emotions. And I was like, I can't deal with this anymore, man. Like my life sucks. I've been through X, Y, and Z for years and years and years. Like this isn't what life's about, man. I didn't choose to be in this game. And so why can't I choose to be out of it? I eventually just snapped. And then getting out of that, that's, that's kind of what led you into, Hey, I need to change this around. Let's, let's start to see John. Like you said, the cage fighting stuff and yeah. that led you into some of this other adventure stuff. And I, I want to get into some of this interesting things you've done. One, which I think is one of the most interesting. And we talked about this just very briefly before we got on is you're one of only three people to go coast to coast in Madagascar. Yeah. How in the fuck did that come about by the way? <laughs> Uh, yeah, man. It's like, I, I just like finding new things to do. And, you know, I guess that's why it's hard to say a hybrid athlete or adventure athlete. Cause I don't care where I am in the world. I want to do something big and I want to do something nobody's ever done. Not to be like, Oh, I'm the first, but I want to just push the limits of what we think we can do. We don't have to fit into one box. You don't have to be like just a specific one dimensional athlete. You can just have a love for life and just do everything. Um, so yeah, I, uh, 
my plan was to walk across Africa as a whole, like the whole continent, which is the equivalent of walking from San Francisco to New York to San Francisco again. And so uh, oh I would walk across it. And I had set out to do that. I followed as many like Africa based Instagram accounts. And uh, some guy led me to this guy named Chaz, who they're like, hey, this guy's done about two or three walks like along the wildest rivers in Africa. Like you should talk to him. So I got to him. Uh, just asking the questions like, Hey, how do I not get eaten by lions? I'm out there. And, uh, he's like, you know, gave me some tips and I went off on my way and well, I didn't get eaten by lions, but I got kidnapped and deported. <laughs> and so, um, oh, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So I, I lasted about three weeks and then I got kidnapped for about four, three or four days, three days, I think. And then, uh, after that I got deported, I'm not really sure if I can go back to Egypt. They didn't tell me I joked around a lot, wow. but, uh, like while I was there, I was joking around with them. And yeah, so I don't know. And I called the embassy when I got back. I was like, Hey, am I allowed in there? And they're like, well, you could be approved for a visa, but we won't know till you go. And I'm like, so pretty much is a crapshoot. I just got to like, yeah, you're going to jail <laughs> or, or turn around and get on the plane again. So, um, that's how I got in touch with Chaz. And about a year later he was going on, he kind of made up this expedition to go across Madagascar. And that's all she wrote. Just kind of hopped on board. Uh, There's an ecologist. There was a photographer. I was going to film it. And then he was kind of like the lead. And you followed the, the riverbed, the, the river the entire way. Right. So close to it. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that I, I know that there couldn't have been just an easy walk the entire way. <laughs> I, I love it because like right now is the anniversary of it. Like, what is it? The 20. Yeah. So we finished about this time in 2019, uh, either today or tomorrow. Uh, so yeah, it was a big time right now. It's funny that it comes up, but, uh, yeah, there's no definite route. Um, we started off in the jungle. Like we started in the beach, went up through the jungle, hit some tributaries, which are like the small little rivers that feed into the Mangoki, which is the big river. Mm-hmm. And so our point was to find the source of it. And nobody had ever really located the source. Even locals there didn't know where the source was. So we were like finding, trying to like talk to people and figure out which, where was the start. And, uh, it was so nuts, but yeah, then you got crocodiles and that was, a, that was a scary one. Yeah, we're crossing rivers that sometimes were up to here on me and like, I'm six, four. And so the girl, the girl was like floating up to here. She has her bag (laughs) over her head. And, uh, yeah, man, it was so gnarly. It was, it was some weird time. I mean, at times we would have locals kind of guide us to where they could show us the most like shallow route. They know, all right, there's no crocodiles along this part. Or sometimes they'd walk us like a mile down the way just to cross because they're like, oh, this part is safe. And then there was a couple of times where we didn't have anybody. We just had to hope. And I remember crossing one time and the girl was terrified. She's terrified of water for one. Oh, <laughs> like I love her to death, but terrified of water. Like, uh, probably not the it. best trek to do that, I guess. <laughs> no, it's named after a river. And so uh, she was terrified of water, terrified of snakes. And then obviously everybody's terrified of crocodiles. But, you know, we, uh, um, myself and Chaz get on, uh, we, one goes in the front, one goes in the back, she goes in the middle. Like, I don't even know this chick, and I'm like willing to take a crocodile for her. Um, or actually, it was left and right. So, with the river flow. Yeah. And uh, I remember looking over and I see this like stick in the water of like quite a bit. And if you see a stick in the water and you somebody says there's crocodiles, that stick is a crocodile for now yeah. on. Yeah. And I, I was just eyeing it, man. I remember like it was yesterday, like just looking at it. She's like, What are you looking at? I was like, Nothing. 
nothing. Just just looking. <laughs> I'm like, there's really nothing you can do. If yeah. Apple crocodile, there's nothing you can do. Oh so God. luckily it wasn't. We saw one crocodile eventually though, and it was probably about like ten feet from us, if that. Now did you have any issues with uh you know, some locals were helping you out, but do you have any issues with other other locals that were giving you kind of a hard time along the way? Yeah. So I, so obviously my first experience in Africa, uh, an African country was not good. Um, mm-hmm. that was cause like the government, the people so hospitable is unreal. They'd invite me to their house and everything. Chaz had done two or three, ri- uh, river walks. Like I said, and he's like, everybody was so friendly. He's like, this was hands down the most hostile place I've ever been. People, m- the majority of people didn't want us there. Uh, there was bandits that kind of have like, they go in like battles military there. And so I guess just that spring, they had like stopped a busload of like scientists and like cut off their hands or whatever. And, you know, um, it was just, yeah, there's a lot of talk of bandits and they're like, they're like heavily, heavily armed. And people kept saying like, Hey, uh, you know, I, I mean, some of the locals wouldn't even go with us any further because we were going through like passes up through the mountains and they're like, all right, Hey, I'll guide you up through the mountains. Cause like, if you go along this route, the bandits are there because it's a dry season. So everybody's coming to the market with their things mm-hmm. and the bandits post up on the routes and they rob everybody. And if they see white people, they're going to kill you. And so, uh, or cut off your hands at work at like, you know, at best. So, um, we just, they took us through the mountains and some of them were like, Hey, this is as far as I'm going. Like, I'm not going any further. We're like, why? Like, cause the bandit did not die. And so people wouldn't even go with us and we just had to keep going on by ourselves. Hope for the best. And eventually we did end up in a bandit town and like smack dab in the middle. And it was so weird. Cause like we're in the middle of nowhere, the dry season, but we get to this village and everything is super green and lush. There's really nobody working out in the fields. And that's when, you know, a village is normal when there's nobody in it, it's like children of the corn, all the kids village, like taking care of their, their little brothers and sisters, all the parents are out in the fields. We get to this town and everybody is in the village in the middle of the day when they should be working and everybody's wearing nice clothes. And I was like, man, it's kind of weird. They they have cell phones. We haven't seen cell phones in like ages. (laughs) Uh, We're sitting there kind of like in a weird feeling. And we have these like security, these three guys who were just walking us through uh, the area and they like went into a, a hut and we're talking to like the, the village chief. He was pretty much saying, I, I don't know what was going on. And we couldn't speak to our, our, our guy or our security. They didn't speak any English or French. We, if we found a guy who spoke French, they could like three way, like, you mm-hmm. know, break us. And so, you know, three days later, after like a hundred miles, we finally come across somebody, but this guy, he was like stone cold all the time our guy. And he like comes out of the hut and he's like, on Dow, on Dow, on Dow. We're like, what? And he's like, on Dow, which means let's go, let's go. And so he looks like scared. He like, won't look at anybody in the eyes. He's just looking at the ground. Like he looks scared and we didn't bring out our phones or anything. Cause like, it felt weird. There's people taking pictures of us. And so we book it and we hit, like, we hit the mountains and we're looking back, looking at the tree line, seeing if anybody's following us. And we could have swore we saw people like coming out of the tree lines, like, that, you know, it's about to get real. We're going to have to run. And uh, finally, like three days later, we finally crossed the Mangoki, eventually the biggest part of it. And we get to this village at nine at night, really late at night, walk into the dark. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we asked the chief ask him to ask him what happened three days ago. Cause it was so long ago. It just stopped getting brought up. Yeah. And I was like, 
ask him what's up. And he's like, yeah. Um, they ask him, they come back to us. He starts laughing. And was, he's like, oh, like that was the notorious bandit village. They, I guess, in the spring, the military, somebody who was in that, like that bus load, they got like kidnapped or something, had taken a picture of the group, like of everything going on or a video. And the military got a hold of it. They went out there and they found one person in the video. They killed, tied him to the back of a truck and towed him around the village as like, hey, like, don't fuck with us. Like, stop killing people. And so we went through that village and I was like, so, so how come like they didn't touch us? And he's like, because they're terrified of you. Like, they think they think everybody who's white is American. And they're like, mm-hmm. they think that the president like is watching you at all times. If anything bad happens to you, he'll know right away. And I was like, 100% he will. Like, yep. <laughs> yeah, they're spot on. So wow, it was so crazy to think for like three weeks, we were terrified of these people and like so worried. When are these bandits coming? When are these bandits coming? And then all of a sudden we find out like they're terrified of us. It's amazing. And spoiler alert, Justin does have both of his hands and he's alive. So, (laughs) so he made it out. All right. You know, one piece. Well, I mean, that's, that's just amazing. Like some of the life experiences that you can take away on that, that type of stuff. Right. And it's, yeah, man, I guess, you know, when I tried taking my own life once, like I'm not really too worried about losing it. Like, you know, I've already pushed the limits. I've tried. Yeah, I know. Like I'm, I'm going to, I'm not taking this life for granted, man. There's stuff out there I want to see and experiences I want to live. And like, if I got to dodge a bullet, I got to dodge a bullet, but we're going to, I'm not going to let anything really scare me, you know? Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, the, the other, the one thing I want to get into really quick before we talk about the triathlon is your other triathlon is this Olympic distance triathlon you did with a 92 pound Thor hammer on your back. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> Again, I uh, <laughs> how does how does one think of hey, listen, I'm going to do a triathlon and it's going to be with 90 pounds on me the entire time. Now, was that obviously you you did the swim with this as well? Yep, because you had to do the entire try. So, what was a you know why 90 pounds and B why a why a Thor like why a Thor's hammer? <laughs> so, right now, if anybody's watching, I got long blonde hair. It's just tied up. But uh, everybody started calling me Thor. When I was walking through Egypt, everybody was calling me Thor. Everywhere you go, I guess a big, tall, white dude with long hair, blonde hair is called Thor. So yeah, <laughs> everybody called me Thor. And I was like, all right, man, cool. So I was, I came back to Bend and somebody was joking. They're like, oh man, you should do like a triathlon with a trident and look like Aquaman. And I'm like, well, I mean, I get called Thor all, all the time. So why not a hammer? And my buddy was like, oh dude, I'll make one for you. So he made one out of concrete and rebar and um, pipe and it ended up being, uh, you know, 92 pounds. And it it was also, he had a huge handle on it, like a long handle because that was the only way you could pick it up. Right. Um, But I I tried, I tried hooking it to my back and the the handle was so long, it would hit me in the calves while I tried to run. So I, uh, I had to chop down the pole, which made it 92 pounds. Like, you know, it was going to be close to a hundred, but, uh, yeah, it's just kind of strapped that to my back and went, it started out as a joke and, uh, ended up becoming a real thing. How did you swim with that thing? Hard, hard. Luckily it was a shallow river. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I'm not the strongest swimmer and luckily it wasn't a very long swim and it was downstream. So there's little factors that helped me, but not easy. 
And how long did it take you to complete the triathlon? That's that's oh, the question. Man. I don't even know. So you have like trackers, right? When you get through like yeah. stations, it transitions, it tracks you. And uh, yeah, it was overall, it was hard to get, even get started. Sorry, I forgot about that. Like they didn't want me to use it. They're like, no, this is dangerous. Not for you. But if someone's like behind you and it falls and breaks, I'm like, yeah. Who's gonna be behind me? I have a 90 pound hammer. Exactly. Like, I'm gonna be the last guy. Yeah, I was like, if someone's behind me, they got bigger problems than a hammer falling. Like <laughs> so I was like, I will be dead last. Um, even if I'm the very first wave, I will be last. So yeah, um, they really didn't want to. I had to like work with them in so many different ways to be like, hey, can I use this? Can I can I do this? Can I do this? Finally we came to terms with things and or came to agreement. And uh yeah, obviously it's just yeah, just is a weird scenario to want to ask. And she thought, you know, there's no way you're going to be able to do it. Like it's a triathlon. Like people have a hard time with nothing. And I'm like, right. well, point. I want to push it. So, you know, I have my tracker, I get done with the swim to the point that wave two almost caught up to me. I like look back and I was like, crap, man. Like we're not even halfway through this thing. Like not, we're, we're not even halfway through the triathlon and like wave two is already getting up to me. Like I'm going to look so stupid or people, watching us come ashore is going to be like, damn, that guy with the hammer is hella fast. He's a <laughs> so I get to the bike and I transition. I'm riding my buddy's bike. Who's five, two, I'm six, four. And five, two is meant for like 125 pound person. Now yeah. with a hammer, I'm weighing like close to 300. I end up going off on the bike. I end up popping both tires going downhill and I was actually going uphill starting. It was going up Mount bachelor, which I think is like, I want to say a 2000 elevation gain or maybe three. So I go 12 miles up the mountain. And as I'm going the one of the aid station ladies or like ladies directing traffic, she's like, Hey, is everything all right? Are you good? Cause I had to stop and like breathe. And I was like, yeah, she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, I just have a huge weight on my back. I'm fine. I just <laughs> like, there's different things going on here. And, uh, I go up, finally I keep going. And the, uh, the like the medic rides up behind me. She's like, Hey, how's it going? She doesn't even notice like what's on my back. And, uh, <laughs> I'm she's like, okay, well like you're the last person on the trail. So I'm just going to follow you so I can like tell everybody along the way to like start packing up and we can go back downhill. And I start going back downhill. We're chatting away. And finally it comes out that I, like, I have a hammer on my back. Then this is actually really heavy. I, it's huge. I don't know how she missed it, but, um, so I'm going downhill and my tire pops. I start like fishtailing and she's like, do you have a, like a pump or anything? I'm like, no, do you want to switch bikes? And she, she didn't want to switch me. And so I'm going 12, 12 miles downhill, just like white knuckled. Like if I fall, this hammer is going up over my head and like, it's going right. to hurt. And so I'm trying my best to like, keep it straight, not move an inch. And, uh, I get down to the run and I get into the transition area and I'm like, Hey, just take my tracker. And she's like, why are you done? I'm like, no, but I'm not going to be done anytime soon with the run. Like you guys, the, the race is going to be over. Like people are already getting their medals basically or not. They're not already getting medals, but they're already finished with the, with the first leg or with the whole triathlon. Right. And so I was like, just take it. Like, I don't care. I'm not really here for like prizes or like time. Like I'm just here to finish. And so I go off on my own run and I was by myself, my legs. I never, I had, I had one 12 ounce water bottle through the whole thing. Stupid. (laughs) um, (laughs) My legs cramped so much. I was just, I was in so much pain walking and trying to run, walk. It was like doing a ultra, like I wasn't really running too much. And, uh, 
yeah, I got to the end and this lady, it was the most satisfying like look I've ever seen is the lady who was telling me I shouldn't do it. I can't do it. I come around the end and the, everybody's gone. Like there's no other athlete there. All the staff is there packing everything up and there's a big, like, you know, the things you run through mm-hmm. the, the line. And I have like two buddies who finally showed up. I had no friends there the whole time. Two buddies showed up at the end and, uh, yeah, I crossed the line and she sees me coming down the way and she's like, turns like almost like pale, like, Oh my God, like you did it. And I was like, yeah, what'd you think? And she's like, it's like two hours. Like, I thought you, I thought you already gave up. Like it's been a really long time. And I'm like, no, I said, I was going to do it. I'm going to do it. (laughs) That is the most impressive. She's like, I want a picture with you. And I was like, good. Yeah. See now, you know, so I want to make everybody like a believer to be like, Hey, anything is possible. You know, it might take longer, but anything's possible. We just need to push ourselves. Yeah, definitely. And that, and that brings me into your, I guess what you're now calling it the true triathlon, I guess. Yeah. Um, which is an attempt at the largest and longest triathlon in U.S. history, which, um, A, like you're going to end up, and you can, we can get into it here, but you're going to be swimming in the Bahamas to Miami. Is that right? And then Miami, yep. yeah. Miami to San Diego on your bike ride, and then San Diego to San Francisco for your run. In total, I believe your mileage is like somewhere around the thirty-five hundred-ish miles, somewhere in there. Yeah, it should end around between like thirty-five to like thirty-eight, maybe. It, okay. it all depends with the swim. The tide can carry me, and when you measure a swim, it's hard to measure nautical miles in miles. Yeah. So usually, you measure from where you started to where you finished. So the closest distance from Bimini Bahamas to Miami is 86 miles, but I'm obviously not going to swim directly across. Yeah. So I'm going to probably end up North, which could end up being 120 or so. However far wow. the current takes me in the cycle, we're still working with it because we want to pop through the major cities. Cause if you route point A to point B, you just go through all the little small towns and like, okay. we want to go like Austin or Houston or Baton Rouge, uh, okay. Phoenix. Uh, so we can really, kind of get people get the community together in each area and create like a Forrest Gump type effect and have mm-hmm. everybody come out and, you know, have a good time. Yeah. So why, where, where'd the, where'd the triathlon uh, idea come from as far as doing these, you know, these areas and these, these distances and stuff like that? How does that come about? Um, I just got bored and I, I hadn't done anything in a while. <laughs> um, I, I, I have a, I have a text I screenshotted from my buddy uh, maybe like, I don't know, maybe a year ago around this time. And I was like, Hey man, like what I was working out in Connecticut where I'm about to head. And I was like, Hey, what do you think if I biked across the U S he's like, Oh man, that'd be nuts. And I'm like, yeah, but everybody does that. Like there's a race, there's, there's a race, a race, called yeah. America. race across America. Yeah. I want to do something different. And I'm like, what if I ran at the end, like ran from like San Francisco to bend where like, you know, where I was born to where I hear am now. And he's like, yeah, dude, that'd be really nuts. I'm like, well, I'm two thirds of the way there. Why not do a triathlon? Now I've always had, <laughs> I've always had this obsession with uh, Cuba and wanting to, I don't know, just thought like, oh, Cuba to Florida. And the current is perfect, but it's a really tough swim. There's only one lady who's really done it unassisted. Mm-hmm. And I got in touch with her and she was like, I just wouldn't do it again. Like it, one, it took her like five tries and she's like a legendary swimmer. And uh, I'm reading her book right now, but she was like, I would do Bimini Bahamas to Miami. It's much easier. It's a little bit shorter. You don't have to deal with uh, the government because it's still U.S. territory. So that's how we ended up with Bimini instead of Cuba. And that just is that. I've always had this image of it always be cool to like swim from one landmass to another. 
And so it's like, this just works out. Wow. And what's, so walk me through what the crew, like what the water crew is going to look like, like how, what, what's your support going to be out, out there? So at first it was just myself. When I came up with this in March, I was going to have a boat. Um, I was looking up all the logistics, the RV, the boat, everything, but it was just myself. Uh, I was going to get a friend or two to like kind of crew me and like be my right hand man. Um, and then I, I went on the news and bend cause people had heard about it and this documentary crew picked it up. And like, these guys are like absolute legends. Like a couple of them have Emmy awards and their whole thing is to now make this into a bigger production. So okay. we're going to have like three catamarans, uh, two or three. I just think we need one, but we're going to have like a pretty big crew, I guess is what they want. So two to three catamarans, because those are the only thing that can go as slow as you swimming. Okay. And yeah, that's pretty much all we need for that is we'll have like my swim coach, all the guys who are filming it, they said like around eight to 10 people, I think. I don't know. That sounds pretty intense. I was like, I was just going to have a buddy with a phone and do an Instagram live. For <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, it got out of hand pretty quick. And uh, yeah, so we'll have, we'll have a medic. We'll have like, you know, a whole team of like a physio, a, uh, a psychologist too, which will be pretty cool. Kind of like picking my brain, being about mental health. They're going to be able to like unwrap those layers of like the onion, you know, and mm. dive be kind of cool so what's the i guess what is the expected like rest periods and how does that kind of factor in for you i mean do you are you expecting to swim uh, let's say 10 miles and then take a little bit of a breather jump in back in and, and keep going or do you plan on being in the water the entire the entire way how does how does that work logistically as well? i would like to be in the water the entire time but being realistic like i'm not a swimmer um, I am now getting to be one, but, um, yeah. I was never a swimmer. Uh, the lady who did it before she obviously legendary swimmer swam her whole entire life. I got to be realistic when it comes to this, uh, you know, as like far-fetched as I like to make things like, or as like ambitious I, as I am, I gotta yeah. be realistic. Um, our plan right now with my swim coach is do about, uh, six hours on six to eight hours on, and then go out for a couple hours to get like a proper meal. Cause yeah. I'll have like little aid station things, you know, like, gels and like little purees or whatever, but I need to get out eventually for two, three hours, maybe. And also that's going to depend on what the ocean's kind of given me. Yeah, you know, true. I'm kind of at, I'm kind of at its mercy of, you know, if it's the tide is going three miles per hour in the opposite direction, like why don't I just take a rest right now and yeah. get back in? So we'll kind of figure out that longitude latitude point. So when we do get back in, we'll get back in at that spot to make it, you know, legit enough as possible and keep right. going. Oh, very so, cool. And how long do you, how long do you expect it to take you to get to from Bahamas to Miami? Um, I would say five days. Okay. Like it should maybe four to five days. If it's 86 miles, no matter how the crow flies, if it goes a hundred miles, you're still only doing 86 of effort. The, the hundred is just from pushing you. Um, you know, if I can do 16 a day, 20 a day, 20, 40, 60, 80, you know, that's four and a half days should be good. So let's say like you're going to get out and I'm, I'm super optimistic for you here. So you're going to get out in Miami area, let's say, yeah. or like, what's your, what's your time frame as far as water to, to bike? Are you Oh, again, it, I, just immediate. Just like, this is getting this thing and get going. Type yeah. Of thing. Um, 
you know, I, I'm happy that even the crew, they want to do it as well. Their words were, you know, the second we get on shore, you're going to get the bike, you're going to get on the bike and get the hell out of town. Like, I like that. I don't, I want to keep this as continuous as possible yeah. and as true to a triathlon as you can be no pun intended. Like I want to keep it as like honest as possible to triathlon rules as I can. Obviously it's going to break some by like getting on the boat, but, um, you know, I, there's only so much I can do. I don't want to break this up and have it be like a day off. Like that's right. not, that's not true to it. So I want to, you know, get on the bike, get out of town. And I'm, I'm estimating two weeks for the bike. So 200 miles a day would put me at about 14 days. And, yeah, I, and think that's, that's and doable. I think that's, again, as you said, based on your actual route, as you go into some of these major cities, right. I'm sure there's going to be, okay, we have to go an extra 10 miles north to get to Austin or whatever it is. Right. So that's going to kind of factor it in as well. But once you hit San Diego area, where are you expecting to come into San Diego area? Like where, what's your, what's your planned area that you're coming into? Do you know, I'm just, I, I know, no, I don't really know. Cause I'm coming in from Phoenix. I know from Phoenix to San Diego, like I know I just have that route. I have a whole like Excel spreadsheet mapped out, but mm-hmm. Obviously that's kind of tentative to what the crew wants to change it to. But yeah, if I look at that, I could pinpoint it like where I'm coming into it, but there's still so much time. We'll, we'll probably move some things around and I don't know. Yeah. Now are you, uh, from your run, are you going to be just running the, the coast highway most of the way? Or are you, or are you taking major like side by freeways and stuff? What's, what's the plan? There? I, I really don't want to go on the freeway. So basically San Diego, I want to run all the way to like, I don't know. I want to touch the water at some point. So go from Atlantic yeah. to Pacific and then okay. get back route and okay. uh yeah i i think it'd be gorgeous doing 600 miles like you want it to be pretty oh hell um, yeah so i would love to be on highway one but uh you know from what i've heard and seen is like there's a lot of part where there's no shoulder so yeah. we, we got uh was that barona again from hector's race no shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we got that one uh and then just there's a lot of blind corners if you have an rv or a car with a camera on the back of it like it's gonna be really hard to kind of film stuff with that so mm-hmm. ideally that's where i'd like to go maybe we can do parts of it and map it out so we get a part on the highway along the coast gorgeous area uh, with a backdrop or i don't really want to be along the highway i don't want to be pounding pavement the whole entire time yeah or exactly cars, you know going 100 miles per hour past your head is like yeah it's not fun yeah well, it doesn't make for good good uh, video footage no. either. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure so, yeah, you guys can... will tell you the same thing. So <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're gonna get as close to the coast as possible. I the map that I have is like pretty much going through you know smaller roadways through you know uh, through LA and then Santa Clara or whatever and San Luis Obispo and so on. So let's talk about what this is raising awareness for and money for you're looking to raise uh what around 15 million give or take uh for mental health awareness correct right wow um so how does how does the how do you start to raise money for that obviously the the aware obviously the awareness comes out just because of everything that's going to be put into it but how does how do people if somebody wanted to you know donate money towards this like how how does it, how do they go about doing that? So that number was definitely not my number. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, through everything I've done is like, I think I've raised like $10,000 or 
most per event. Like this was their, the cruise number. They came up with it and I was like, hey, if that's what you guys feel is possible for this, then have at it. And so that's their basically plan is to raise the funds and to raise the donations for this to be possible. Um, and then I just leave that in their shoes or in their, in their hands. Uh, every week we have a call and kind of discuss it about how this is possible, what we're going to do, who we're going to go to. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a 501 kind of set up. There's so many issues that come along with it that this last week's yeah. phone call sat there and just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm just a hamster on the wheel. Um, <laughs> I would like everything I've done has been simple to where it's like, Hey, here's a GoFundMe. People are going to obviously have to trust me that all donate the money, which I have. And that's kind of what this started out as. But obviously when you talk about this much money, you can't really just trust somebody with that much money or companies can't just donate to a GoFundMe. They want to yeah. donate something they can write off to a 501. Yeah. But uh, that's what we're looking at creating to start this. And, uh, yeah, kind of that's where people can put it once we get that running. Very cool. Let's talk about training really quick. Um, I know you're obviously you're based off your Instagram and social media. You're doing a ton of swimming right now. Um, how much are you putting into swimming versus the, you know, the bike? We all know that you know, running is probably the easiest aspect of the, of the triathlon. So what's your, what's your training uh, going on right now? Oh man, probably like 85% swimming. Uh, 10% biking and 5% running running. I got a lot of confidence from being with Hector the other week, um, being able to put out that many miles with him and just being able to pick his brain throughout that gave me so much confidence with the run section. It makes me feel comfortable with kind of how I've divided up my training. I'm really focused on swimming. Swimming is to make it or break it. It's if swimming fails, everything's been for nothing, you know, uh, yeah. in my head, it's, that's how it is. Like, obviously I have no idea what the plan would be if I don't finish the swim or if I can't, like, do we just, Oh, okay. Let's get to the bike then. Or do I put on like fins and a snorkel and finish the right. swim? <laughs> like, what do, we do. So it's to make it or break it to me. It's the most dangerous. It's the one where I can actually die how, like pretty and easily. And how are you getting open water swimming uh, in Daria? Like, are you able to get out to some lakes and, and cause Bend is not anywhere near the, no. the, the Pacific. So right. what, what's kind of your open water swim? So for the year I've been since making this, uh, I was out in London in the UK and, uh, I was doing a lot of pool sessions as far as like drills. And okay. then on the weekends I'd go head out for like, you know, a couple two hour sessions during the weekend to go do some open water swims and get used to it. Um, I went to Spain for a bit on like a vacation and just spent the whole vacation swimming and like around the Island. Um, and that was gorgeous and like gave me so much confidence being in like, it's still gorgeous water and it's, it's nice. It's warm. Uh, you know, and that was still only a month or so into swimming and like, I feel like I'm doing great. And then I came out to Oregon and had to go out to the Pacific coast. And that was gnarly, super cold, really rough. And probably had one of the best swims I've ever had. I just felt so great after it. I was like, man, I'm like, now my confidence has shot up. The fact that I can get in all these different waters and learn things from each body of water and all these mm -hmm. different factors being thrown at me is going to just kind of strengthen me for when I do get into the Bahamas, know that I've been through X, Y, and Z. This is going to like, the Bahamas should be good. Um, when I went down to San Diego there, I hopped in the water there, did a couple swims around La Jolla Cove and shores back and forth from the pier. Then when I came back up to Bend, just hopped in the lakes. The lakes are one lake was extremely rough. It was the scariest swim I've ever had in my life. It was terrifying. <laughs> and I'm all alone. I don't have a buoy with me. Now I do, but 
yeah, that was definitely the scariest one I've ever had where I just panicked. I couldn't see my goggles fogged up. And it was just one of those things where I knew I was going to have bad days swimming. I've had tons of good days where I get out and I'm just like, man, this is the greatest thing in the world. I'm so stoked. Let's do this. And, but I know I had to like, all right, like you're going to have bad days too. So be ready for those. And when I did have that day, it didn't really beat me up as much. Cause I'm like, I knew this was going to come like, it'll pass. I learned some things and now I'll just use it for the next day. So what's the, um, what's your nutrition like right now? I mean, obviously you've got some time. Are you, uh, all I see is, is pancake and pizza pizza's coming into your Instagram feed. So <laughs> are you Love trying it, to man. gain, are you trying to gain a little bit of weight? Um, yeah. to help out with the swim aspect of it? Is that kind of the, the mentality of it? Purely. Yeah. Uh, my coach said that when we first met, you know, I was like, I'm 205 pounds and she's like, you need to add about 5% more, more fat to it. And that ends up being like 15 pounds of fat. And I just have never been a big person. When I used to fight, I fought at 155 pounds. I walked around probably at anywhere from 160 at the start of it to about 180, 190. Okay. And I fought at 155. I just had never been big. Yeah, she kind of gave me that task for multiple reasons, for insulation purposes. Obviously, the water is going to be cold. Even though it's the Bahamas, it's still cold. Like, imagine sitting in a bathtub that's at 80 degrees. Like, you're going to get cold eventually. A bathtub at 80 isn't hot. You go into a hot tub, you want yeah. it to be like 90 or something, not 100. And when it starts getting below your body temperature, it's going to be cold eventually, especially when you're sweating and exerting. So, mm-hmm. I need insulation. And then it's an interesting combination. You want fat for insulation, but you want muscle for thermogenesis. So your body can create heat inside, but muscle is less buoyant than water and fat. So it sinks. So you want that fat to create some more buoyancy. So it's like this crazy, just kind of like cycle of, I I need to be strong, but I also need to be like, I need to get fat. So obviously you go to eat 15 extra pounds of fats worth, you know, um, you're going to gain muscle. I'm still lifting. I'm still biking and swimming and running. Like I'm going to gain muscle. So it's like that 15 pounds is going to be 20 to 25 pounds. Yeah. So I'm really going to get in the water, hopefully at around 225, 230. Um, and then that throws in, all right, well, how's that going to work with the run? Is that going to be like a big frame? But I got in touch with some people and asked people about it. And they were like, well, like one guy's like, I gained 30 pounds for my swim when he swam across the English channel. And then, bike and ran the, uh, uh, the length of the UK. And I was like, so how did that work with the run? He's like, Oh man, I lost it all by the run because you get in such a deficit during the swim and then a deficit during the bike that you'll lose 20 to 30 pounds. He's like, I start, I got, by the time I got to the run, I was below my starting weight. It's this weird cycle of trying to get fat, but balance it with training and it's, it's just weird. I like it. So my diet is pretty much eat anything and everything um, that I can, where it's about 8,000 to 10,000 calories a day right now. And oh, there's a lot of jealous people right now. I'm still losing weight. Like I think I've gained pounds <laughs> in the last two months and I'm like nervous because this is just the start of training. I haven't even like peaked yet for training where it's going to be maybe 15. Like I'm swimming two hours a day, but I'm not really running every day. I'm lifting every, I'm lifting about three times a week, swimming every single day, about two hours, rowing about an hour a day as well. Airdyne bike for about an hour. And like, once I actually start getting sports specific where I swim, bike and run every day. Oh man, the calorie output is going to be insane. Yeah, no kidding. Right. (laughs) 
Um, see, my, my last thing is, I'm quite curious with this. I know when it comes to challenges that you do and everything else, like mentally you're, you're set, you're like you're as hard as they come. So you mentioned, you mentioned Hector and you had a chance to be out here in San Diego with Hector doing his SD 200, being with him and seeing uh, how he mentally prepares for everything. Does seeing that and, and participating with him in s- certain sections, is that like even like does that solidify and strengthen like your mentality of how you need to like be prepared for things or is it change did, it, did, oh, it, did you go in did you go in one way and look at it as okay shit i need to up my game even further because of this like how did how did that affect you right. i i learned probably like just i i i can't even put into words how much i learned from him um mainly i would say probably the number one thing that i learned from him there was how he attacked every challenge like I'm a person that when I get to a rough point, I think about something bad that happened in my life and I get angry and like, I grit my teeth and like, I dive through it. And, you know, I'm probably not the nicest person during like a challenge. I'm, I'm, I like to be fun and like smile and laugh, but like Mm -hmm. when things tough, like I like to grit my teeth and just like buckle down and go. And people knew that when I was fighting, like they knew when I had a fight coming up, when I came into the gym, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't have fun. Like you knew I was all about business and to see how Hector attacked things like, it changed my game plan. I, I love how every day he had a smile. He, no matter what happened, no matter what curveballs, like on your guys' podcast, you heard all of them. Like there's so many things that happened that I would have been so annoyed with and would have been like stressed about or angry about just because it was a negative mindset to, I would let it like affect me. And he doesn't, he smiled through everything and like enjoyed it all. And I just think that's how you have to do these like long endurance events. You have to find some love and some passion in them. And when you look back on it at the end of the day, you don't want to be angry about it. You don't want to be like, Oh man, I got super pissed. Like when my phone, when the car got broken into and I thought my phone got stolen, I look, I was thinking about today. It still affects me. I'm like, man, I was, I was kind of like pissed off and I, I feel terrible about that. And you don't want to look back on any event you do and be like, Oh man, I regret how I acted. Like, he doesn't, he looks back on that event. He's like, man, that was so much fun. And that's how I want to look back <laughs> on mine. I don't want to look back on mine and be like, oh man, like I really regret how I acted or, you know, how I didn't smile that one day. Like I need to like realize the blessing and how grateful I am to be in this position and to have these people around me. And I think that you get more strength than what you would get if you found some pain inside and you brought it back up like a, a Goggins type mindset. I think you have so much more strength going with the Hector type mindset. So yeah, I, I learned that from him and that's what I'm going to take running ahead with mine. And, you know, along with all the other little tips and tricks that he had. Yeah, man, that's, I mean, there's a lot, to, a lot to learn from Hector. We, I mean, the trail community here in San Diego <laughs> sees that in and out and everything he does and stuff. So that's awesome. You're able to take that away from him and, and how he prepares for things. But, uh, Hey man, I, I wish you the best of luck. I know you and I will have conversations leading up to it or whatever, yeah. but, um, and I definitely want to chat with you after, um, you complete it. Cause I know you will, <laughs> but, uh, May of 2022, um, I will put, uh, some show notes in there for everybody. If people want to follow, along uh justin in the social media and check out his website we'll make sure the show notes are are there for everybody to take a look at uh but yeah man i i'm uh excited to have this chance to talk to you and 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 i wish you the best of luck man thank you man i appreciate it appreciate you having me on all 
right. That's the season two finale of the Trail Live podcast. Special shout out to Justin True for joining me today. Um, and as I said before, definitely one of the most interesting athletes I've ever had a chance to talk to. I mean, some of the stuff that he's done in the past and what he is preparing for for next year is amazing to me. And, and I he is my utmost respect for all of that. If you want to follow along with what Justin has got going on, you can go to his website, whoisjustintrue.com or follow him on all of his social media channels. I will put those in the show notes for you guys to take a look at. But thanks again, guys. I appreciate you listening in and, and having me for a season two. I'm taking a couple of weeks off, but I'll be back with new episodes, new interviews. I got some really cool stuff lined up. Be prepared for that. Stay tuned. Thank you again. And I'll see you on the trails real soon.